My next guest is American writer, historian, actor and essayist whose acid wit has made him a hugely popular and indeed unpopular commentator. I like Gore when he's on this show. He says what is on his mind. Mr. Vidal has become a cultural icon. Prolific American novelist, playwright, screenwriter, historian, essayist. Conversationalist, actor, humorist and sometime political candidate. Would you welcome please Mr. Gore Vidal. From We Own This Town, this is Vidalatry. A look at the wit and wisdom in the spoken words of Gore Vidal. I'm Ryan Briegel. Gore Vidal and author Norman Mailer had, from the start of their careers, a complicated friendship. Innocent barbs and taunts year after year, usually delivered in a joking manner, would culminate for the two men in 1971 in a very bizarre nighttime television appearance. And although Gore would be better behaved than he was during the William Buckley debates three years prior, in the end, the only person really demonstrating any decorum and common sense was the woman in the room. Gore Vidal first heard the name Norman Mailer in 1948 when Mailer's debut novel The Naked and the Dead was published, forcing he and Gore to become literary peers. Gore would later admit that Mailer had written the big novel of World War II, but Gore's first reaction to the book was, it's a fake, a clever, talented, admirably executed fake. Gore and Mailer first met at a friend's New York apartment in 1952, and for the next few years they were quite amiable, seeing each other socially from time to time. Each would, in fact, count the other as a friend. But during the 1968 Democratic National Convention, Gore witnessed Mailer hanging with William F. Buckley Jr., like they were friends. And it's true. Mailer had appeared on Buckley's Firing Line TV program a number of times, and the two had spent weekends together with their wives at Buckley's Connecticut home. As Gore was clearly opposed to both Buckley's political ideology and his less-than-cordial personality, Gore began to be wary of Norman Mailer. How could he be friends with anyone who palled around with William F. Buckley? On December 15, 1971, Gore and Mailer were both invited to be guests on The Dick Cavett Show. This joint appearance would come at an interesting time in their lives. Only five months before, Gore had defended a well-known feminist author by making some very strong statements about Mailer in print, the details of which we will soon hear. And Mailer had no doubt been waiting for a public arena such as this to have it out with his old friend. But there was a third guest on the show that evening, a woman who had no desire to sit and listen to a pair of bickering boys. Her name was Janet Flanner. First working as a writer in New York City in her 20s, Flanner went to Europe in 1921 and began writing for the New Yorker as a foreign correspondent. She wrote about art and culture in Paris, especially what Parisians saw was happening in their city, not what American tourists felt was going on. She married a man when she was 26, but when the marriage dissolved, she began relationships with a number of women, a fact that notoriously homophobic Mailer surely took into account when he would later act like his Dick Cavett appearance was a game of Mailer versus Flanner and Gore. 
Mailer's problems started early that day, on December 15, 1971, before he ever stepped onto the soundstage at ABC Studios. He had done some press that morning, then attended an afternoon cocktail party where he drank heavily. He arrived at the studio, and while in the green room, felt a hand on the back of his neck. It was Gore, perhaps intending a friendly gesture, but in his drunken state, Mailer took it as one of aggression. Mailer responded with an open-hand swipe to Gore's face. Gore slapped back. Then Norman smiled, put his hand on the back of Gore's neck, and swiftly head-butted him. Gore asked him if he was crazy. Mailer replied, I'll see you on the show. Gore composed himself, tried to forget about Mailer for the moment, and was the first guest on the show that night. Gore's time was soon up, and Janet Flanner then followed. When her time ended, it was Mailer's turn to walk on, each guest remaining on stage as the next emerged. Mailer shook hands with Dick Cavett and shook hands with Flanner, who remained seated. But when Gore approached to shake Mailer's hand, Mailer ignored him, the three men awkwardly standing. We all seem to be standing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Couldn't help noticing that you failed to shake hands with one of my guests. I guess I forgot. Mailer answered a few questions, and then he handed Cavett a page he had torn out of the New York Review of Books, and he asked the host to pass it to Gore to read aloud. But to Mailer's dismay, Gore remained silent. Had Gore learned from his Buckley debates how not to take the bait? Then Cavett asked Mailer about his attitudes toward Gore. Why, weren't they friends? We were friends last time we saw each other, which was about two or three years ago. And since then, we've been doing nothing but write atrocious things about each other. <laughs> Mailer is referring specifically to the essay Gore wrote just five months earlier. In 1965, Mailer had published a novel called An American Dream, a story of a successful war hero who goes on a violent, alcohol-filled streak murdering his wife, then covering up the murder after following instructions he feels he is receiving from the moon. Mailer's main character feels liberated by the violence, and his horrible treatment of women in the novel was singled out by feminist author Kate Millett in her 1970 book, Sexual Politics. A few months later, Mailer responded to Millett's criticism in an essay titled The Prisoner of Sex. Then, in July 1971, Gore came to Millet's defense in an essay for the New York Review of Books titled In Another Country. Commenting on Mailer's Prisoner of Sex essay, Gore wrote, quote, There has been, from Henry Miller to Norman Mailer to Charles Manson, a logical progression. The Miller-Mailer-Manson man, or M3 for short, has been conditioned to think of women as, at best, breeders of sons, and at worst, objects to be poked, humiliated, killed. But on the Cavett program that night, now with Mailer prodding him, Gore realized he was going to have to speak before it was all over. But surely he could make his points, stay calm, and still be television's beloved Gore Vidal. The good thing about him is his constant metamorphosis. He does re-bear re himself like the phoenix, and uh, what the next incarnation will be, I don't know. Well, you seem to have me figured out as the, the next reincarnation for me is going to be Charles Manson. 
Well, you let yourself... Why don't you read what you wrote? You let yourself in for it, and I will tell you, I'll give a little background here, that... Mailer has We all know that I, that I stabbed my wife many oh. years ago. We do know that, Gore. You were playing on that. Now, come oh, on. Oh, I'd love to forget about it. Well, no, you, you don't want to forget about it. You're a liar and a hypocrite. You were playing on it. But that wasn't playing a liar or a hypocrite. I wasn't going to talk about it. The fact of the matter is that people who read the New York Review of Books know perfectly well, all, they know all about it. Uh, and, and, uh, and it's your subtle little way of, of doing it. You know, the New Yorker... Uh, Since Mailer wouldn't allow Gore to give the background so desperately needed here, I will. It was November 1960, and Norman and his wife Adele were hosting a party in their Upper West Side New York apartment. An estimated 200 guests wandered in and out of the party all through the night, until finally a drunk and drugged up mailer left his apartment to find trouble down in the street, reportedly punching people, so out of it he didn't know his own name. He returned to his apartment at 4.30 a.m. and burst into the bedroom where Adele was preparing for bed. Adele started taunting Mailer about his masculinity and suggesting he had a mistress. This so enraged her husband that he came toward her forcefully, stabbing her with a pocket knife, once in the back and then through the breast, narrowly missing her heart. Adele says she will never forget lying on the ground, bleeding, while her husband said to the remaining guests, Don't touch her. Let the bitch die. Adele was rushed to the hospital and would fortunately make a full recovery. Her father, Al Morales, worked for the Daily News at the time as a typesetter, and the headline he was responsible for that morning read, Writer Stabs Wife. Adele divorced Mailer in 1962, and she would go on to write about the incident in a memoir titled The Last Party. Mailer would later say about the stabbing, I came in contact for the first time in my life with the depth of my own rage. As the show progressed that night, Gore stayed well-behaved, appearing witty yet poised, treating Mailer's very bad mood with humor and lightness. Anne Cabot's third guest, Janet Flanner, had hardly said a word since Mailer had first stepped onto the stage, but thankfully, her silence was about to end. Oh, I'm beginning to see what bothers you now. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the point. Are, are you ready to apologize? <clears throat> I would apologize if, uh, if it hurts your feelings. Of course I would. No, it hurts my sense of intellectual pollution. Well, I must say, as, I mean, uh, as an the, expert, you should know uh, about I that. I would like to... <laughs> yes, well, I've had to smell uh, your works from time to time, and that has helped me to become an in- expert on intellectual pollution, yes. Yeah, well, let's... Uh, And sitting there, listening to these two men go back and forth, Janet Flanner finally had enough. insult each other, not only in public, but you you act as if you were in private. That's the odd way. It's the art of television, isn't it? It's very odd that you act act as if you were the only people here. Aren't we? They are here. He's here. I'm here. And I'm becoming very, very bored. My... At this point, Mailer acts as if he is going to hit Flanner, and she playfully puts up her fists. You, you, you still haven't told me whether you're Gore's manager or the referee. If you make history here by punching a lady... <laughs> I don't have it. 
I won't have it. Now, look, you, 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 you see the sort of thing that goes on. Now you say, if I make history, if I punch you, you know perfectly well, oh. you know perfectly well that I'm the gentlest of the four people here. Hmm. <laughs> I just hope it lasts through the next whatever we have left. Uh, I guarantee you I wouldn't hit any of the people here because they are smaller. <laughs> In what ways? <laughs> Intellectually. Well. Intellectually smart. Well, let's let me turn my chair and join these three. <laughs> and then Mailer thought it wise to get the audience's opinion of him. Yes, I was going to ask the audience <clears throat> what, uh, what I was doing that was uh, uh, making them um, cheer every time the other side connected with a pass from one to the other of my three opponents. Why, right, that's fair. Uh, someone said I'm rude, and someone said I'm being a snot. Uh, I did for you, Mr. Oh, oh, the we joint is loaded with libbies. Oh, oh. My, door, my God, it wasn't enough to trundle Janet Flanner along, the most formidable presence in the history of television, but you had to load the balcony with your libbies, your little libbies. Oh, now, wait a minute. There was only one lady's voice that rang out. Do you consider that loaded? It was the voice of legions. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well... I'm, I'm, Why do you have to argue so negatively and insulting to your guests or the other people... Are they're not my guests. They're not my guests any more than they're your guests. It it's your show now. <laughs> Well, that's because, that's because they are mature and full of dignity, and they'd cut my throat in any alley, and I answer rudely because I'm crude and a lout and a clod, that's why. Because this audience has been curiously hostile to me from the word go. Now, I want to ask all of you something. Are you really all truly idiots, or is it me? Oh, that was the easy answer. Come on. <laughs> and then during the commercial break, Gore expressed his desire to give his thoughts on Mailer. Cavett decided Gore was entitled to equal time, and Mailer accepted if Gore would at least read what he had written. The break was over, and the show continued. What I detest in you, a constant friend despite this, but your violence, your love of murder, your celebration of rage, of hate, American dream, what was the dream? A man murders his wife and the woman afterwards to celebrate an American man's dream. This violence, this knocking people down, this carrying on is a terrible thing. And you said I compared you to Charles Manson. I said Henry Miller in his way. Norman and his, and Manson in his far-out mad way, are each reflecting a hatred of women and a hatred of flesh. And frankly, <laughs> if I may say so. But Gore wasn't reading the review as he had agreed, and so Mailer stood up, walked over to Gore, and took back the page he had ripped from the New York Times Review of Books and began reading it aloud himself. The Miller Mailer Manson Man, or M3 for short, has been conditioned to think of women as at best breeders of sons, at worst objects to be poked, humiliated, killed. 
So strangely, by refusing to get into a full-blown argument with Mailer, Gore comes out looking civil, although his words were taken out of their full context. And Mailer ends up looking like an instigator, a drunk bully. Sadly, this wasn't the last time Mailer would try to push Gore over the line, poke at him until he lost his temper. In the documentary Profile of a Writer, Gore discusses an incident that occurred a few years after their Dick Cavett appearance. Of my own generation, of, we were the so-called war novelists, those of us who came out of the, out of the Second World War. And, uh, Mailer uh, was something of a friend of mine, but ultimately you cannot be a friend of Mailer because he's constantly... Uh, he wrote a book called Advertisements for Myself. Anybody writes advertisements for myself, it ends up that you will have to be an advertisement for him. His career was doing badly, uh, has been doing badly for about 20 years. Gore proceeds to tell about a party in October 1977, thrown by journalist Lally Weymouth, daughter of Catherine Graham, the publisher of the Washington Post, and for a while sister-in-law to Talking Heads bassist Tina Weymouth, until Lally divorced Tina's brother in 1969. The party was packed, guests standing shoulder to shoulder. Everyone seemed to be in attendance, including Susan Sontag, Barbara Walters, Rolling Stone owner Jan Winner, Gore's future Senate rival Jerry Brown, and Jackie Onassis, who Gore hadn't seen in many years. Because of the crowd, everything that went on at this party was on display for all to see, so it made what happened next all the more embarrassing. And suddenly at a party and two years ago, Mailer came up to me, threw a drink in my face with a sort of, you know, looked like a fat little old lady. And suddenly this little old lady, I looked down at this little old lady, and suddenly this tiny fist comes up, like it goes across my face. And so I grab him like this, and I sort of throw Mailer across the room. And Mailer falls on top of a friend of mine, who not only has a pacemaker in the heart, but a toupee. And he th took this as an extremely hostile act that I was throwing Norman Mailers at him at a party for no reason at all. He said, nobody else has ever thrown a Norman Mailer at me. This friend of Gore's was Max Pelevsky, a very wealthy computer genius who, when Mailer landed on him, spilled Pelevsky's champagne down the dress of the party's hostess. Mailer demanded that Weymouth kick Gore out or he himself would leave. She refused to play along with Mailer's games, and Mailer soon made his exit. Gore would later refer to this evening as the Night of the Small Fists. With these public run-ins full of violence, this never-ending hostility, you would think the two men would despise each other until one of them died first. But that's not what happened. Remember, this is a complicated friendship. Perhaps Mailer, in a sober moment, remembered the way Gore handled himself during the 1971 Dick Cavett appearance, and he started to once again think highly of the man he used to respect. The two men also had a mutual friend, the actor Mickey Knox, who Gore would often speak with about his feud with Mailer. When Mailer began working for Penn International, an organization promoting cooperation among writers, he needed authors for a 1984 fundraising event. Mailer wrote Knox about Gore, asking his opinion as to whether Gore was cooling down or whether his hatred for me is still essentially one of his first passions. Knox assured Mailer that Gore would like to hear from him, so Mailer wrote, inviting Gore to participate in the event, saying, I'd still like to make up. An element in me 
absolutely immune to weather and tides, runs independently fond of you. Gore accepted the invitation, and the friendship was restored. Mostly. In true Gore Vidal fashion, Gore would later remark, I never actually disliked Norman, not really. So now the feud, for what it was worth, was officially over. This was fine with me, as long as I didn't have to read another of his books. Vidolatry is brought to you by We Own This Town. This episode was written and produced by me, with additional research by Joshua Reese. You can find more information about this episode at vidolatry.com. I'm Ryan Briegel. Thank you for listening.